You're listening to the New Life Podcast. We're one church in multiple locations based out of Aberdeen, South Dakota. We hope this message helps the gospel come alive for you and gives you an opportunity to encounter Jesus in a whole new way. For more info on New Life, you can check out our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Let's get ready to listen to today's message. But as we start off the story, we're going to be talking about this character named Elijah. And Elijah did some things that some of you will never do. Number one, Elijah never dies. And I know if we get really spiritual with that, we're like, well, none of us really die because we're born again. And so forth. I mean, literally, he never dies on planet Earth. He just goes up to heaven. Something else that he does is he prays it to God and someone resurrects from dead. I think it's the only account, if I'm, if I'm accurate, in the Old Testament where that happens. And so he doesn't just kind of have faith in the Bible. Elijah has great faith, and he lives in this period of time that's very unsettled. And he lives in this period of time where it's chaotic. And as he is living life, he is this prophet of old, and prophets had a very specific job. Prophets kind of look like guys in old Western movies, like the Clint Eastwood character where they don't tell you what you want, but they tell you what you need. And you don't really want to see this person, but you do see them, and when they tell you what they need to tell you, you respect them even if you don't like them. That's Elijah, and so he is talking to King Ahab in this storyline as we walk through it. And he makes this statement from God himself. And he makes this statement to Ahab. He makes this statement to God's people in this unsettled time. He says, how long are you going to limp between two opinions? And he says, how long are you going to worship alongside of this false god named, does anybody know from their Sunday school days? From Baal. And so he says, how long are you going to worship God, Jehovah, throughout the week, but then at the same time, are you going to worship this false god of rain, Baal? And so he has this exchange with them, and it gets incredibly heated. And the story behind the story is that King Ahab is not somebody that's following the Lord. And so what happens is he has uh, the people of God allow them to worship a false god named Baal, and it all happens because of a bad marriage. And there's just a little side note there that the marriage that you get into is the second most important decision you ever make besides your salvation. So he marries a woman. Does anybody know? Right, You've got to talk to me. Or I'm going to think, man, no one's paying attention. If you went to Sunday school growing up, who does he marry? Jezebel. And so if anyone calls you Jezebel, ladies, just know they're not kind of being offensive. That is a very bad thing to be called is Jezebel. Jezebel brings this false religion in to God's people, and she's living outside of the land with the Canaanites, and she worships this God, Baal, this God of, of, of water, and God gets pretty ticked off, and he says, how long are you going to limp between two opinions? And so here's where the great showdown happens. I'm just going to recap this for you, and we're going to pick up the story today. This is probably what you learned in Sunday school. That Elijah, as he's frustrated, finally has this moment with him and the Lord and God's people on display watching these things take place. And he calls out these, these false prophets and he says, you know, if you, if you want to worship this Baal so much, then what I want you to do is I'm going to build this altar and we're going to put a sacrifice on it. And I want you to call down fire from heaven. And if your God is the real God, this is kind of like show me the money moment. 
If your God is the real God, then he will consume this altar with fire. And so then they proceed to beg and plead to their false God, and they cut themselves, and they do all these weird ritualistic ceremonies. And literally, here's where the plot thickens. You can kind of hear a pin drop in the room because nothing happens. And they go over it, and they go over it, and they go over it, and just nothing. And so then he steps onto the scene, and he says, that's not enough. My God can do whatever my God chooses to do. And so now at this point, I want you to take some water and I want you to pour it over the altar. I want you to pour it on the sacrifice. In fact, we're going to dig some trenches and I want to pour water all around the trenches. And when I call out to my God, fire is going to fall. And that's exactly what happens in this story. And as we pick up today, fire has just fallen God's people have seen his power. God's people have seen his concern. God's people have seen his justice. And I can't even imagine what exactly this would have been like, the heat that that fire would have put off as fire falls down from heaven and the sacrifice is consumed. I was telling people at a 930 service, I kind of know what this might have been like because... I don't have an altar with fire, and I've never called down fire from heaven, but I have had a few fire mishaps, and maybe you can relate to that. A few months ago, or actually a couple of, last year, I decided that our grill wasn't good enough, and maybe you know where I'm going with this, you've had this type of experience, and in my house, um, my wife grills, and I know that's embarrassing to admit, but that's just kind of how our dynamic works, but one thing she will not do because of bad experiences she's had is she will not start the grill. And so my job when I got this new grill was to light it. And so I was wondering, because I'm kind of cheap, and if you know me, you know that's just a way of saying I'm super cheap, but my way of getting a grill is a little different than yours. So I would go to Walmart, and then I'd go to Walmart, then I'd go to Walmart, and I'd look at the same grill, and it would get lower and lower in price. And sometimes, here's what I've found in my older age. Sometimes there's a reason you're getting such a good deal. Are you tracking? And so I got this grill. It was like 60% off, and I was super excited about it. And what I do, when I find a good deal, is I brag about it to all my friends. I say, you wouldn't believe the price I got on this grill. 60% off, Walmart, best deal ever. And so I get home, I set up this grill, and I light it, and we have a, you know, a steak or hamburger or whatever it was. Well, a few times go by, and apparently you have to clean these things. And so there's these little micro holes where the air gets out of the grill, and I hadn't cleaned it up to par. And so literally, I light this thing, or I actually, you guys know where this is going? I'm clicking it, I'm clicking it, I'm clicking it. And uh, I think, well, it won't light. And so I get this brilliant idea where I'm going to just light this match and drop it in the fire. And literally, like, I had no eyebrows left about an hour later. And I came in the house, and I told my wife, Ann, I said, man, I literally just had to check our life insurance policy again because this thing about took my head off. And just the heat. Have you guys ever had that happen? First service, everyone's telling me stories about their grill. And so uh, thanks for not telling me about a few months ago when this happened. But as this was happening, man, I'm feeling this heat, and I'm thinking about it for this morning when I'm praying over this message. I'm thinking, I can't even imagine what that fire would have been like. When the prophets are cutting on themselves and doing whatever they have to do to call fire from heaven, and they're calling on their, their God of water to do what only God, Jehovah, can do, nothing happens, and then there's this great moment where he lights the grill and everything goes crazy. Everything gets burned up, and in his moment of strength, Elijah, in his confidence before the Lord, calls down fire from heaven, 
and he takes those prophets, like 850 prophets, and he has them all murdered. And he says, we're not going to limp along anymore. We are following the God of the Bible, Jehovah Jireh, the great provider. He is the one and true God. And all of the people in the land have this moment where they're reconciled back to God. And how many of you guys know that in real life, that's not always the end of the story, right? In real life, there are these chunks of things that happen throughout time where you have these seasons of fire falling and you have these seasons of following God no matter what, but then you have these other seasons. And what's so incredible to me is this guy who can pray for someone to be raised from the dead, this guy that has such great faith that he never even experiences physical death on planet Earth himself, even this guy just like the other main characters, heroes of a faith in the Old Testament, even this guy deals with this thing called fear. And he goes from a high on a mountaintop to a valley that's so low that he's literally in the next few verses going to ask for God to take his life. And this isn't like a five-year window gap. This is just snapshot in the story and then snapshot in the second piece of the story where this is all going to happen. But as he now lights this fire and has this moment with God, and as these false prophets are taken out for you know, following this God bail, he then proceeds to run past uh, King Ahab on a chariot. He runs past them in the supernatural power of God. He beats them to the town that he's going to because he wants to intercept this conversation between Ahab's wife Jezebel and Ahab, and he doesn't end up having that conversation before Jezebel's talked to him. And so King Ahab tells her everything that's happened, all of your prophets have been destroyed, and instead of being humble and repenting and saying, this is the real God, I understand what happened at the fireplace, she gets mad and she makes this death threat on this man's life, and this is where the story picks up. I want you to follow it with me. But this is what it looks like when we have fear over faith. The Bible says this, and then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do so to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of the one by them this time tomorrow. Here's what she's saying. All these prophets have just died. These are people she probably would have known. She could have even grown up with these people. She's watching everything be stripped from her, and in a moment of lacking complete humility, she decides she's going to make a death threat on Elijah, and she says, this is going to be your destiny if I have anything to do with it. She's going to try to take him out. And the Bible says this, and underline it if you have your Bibles with you today, then he was what? Afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And check out what happens next. But he went himself a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. I probably should know this because I'm a pastor, but I, in my dense reality, I'm just, I don't know. What, is that like a broom? I don't know what that looks like. Is that? I don't know. But he's sitting under this broom tree. He probably looks like... Jonah in scripture, and now he's going to start licking his wounds. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough. He says, now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And look what he says in verse 5. And he lay down, and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. 
And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked of hot stones and a jar of water. God's providing for this man. And he ate it, and he drank it, and he lay down again. And so here's what I want you to see, and here's, here's where we're going with this message today. That in this moment of weakness, and in this moment of courage that drops down to fear, that God has this plan to deal with his child's heart. And why that's so important is because we go through the same stages. That God has this plan to deal with our heart when we go from this place of mountaintop to train wreck. And so I want you to see this process and how, le- how well it plays out. He had no reason to fear. He'd been seeing God do everything that God said that he was going to do. For years he's been watching this process take place. And he goes from this high top to this low valley in just a moment's time. And here's what happens. And I want you to catch this because this is why we're talking about this issue in church. It all happens when he takes his eyes and he stops looking up and he starts looking around. Because when he's looking up, he sees fire falling from heaven. When he's looking up, he sees God's sovereignty controlling the narrative in his life and controlling the narrative in the Israelites' life. And as soon as he looks around, these people that he knows God has control over, people like Ahab, people like Jezebel, as soon as he looks out instead of up, everything starts crumbling. And the same exact principle is true in our life and in your life. And he sleeps under this broom tree And God deals with his heart. And here's what's so cool about how God deals with his heart. I want you to write this down. This is how God deals with fear in your life and in my life. He just shows up. It's just like the ministry of presence in this young man or this man's life who's a prophet of old. He just starts by saying, Elijah, here I am. I want you to know me and that my ways are good. He starts cooking him some bacon and eggs in the morning. He goes from this place where God can do anything God wants to do in his life to him saying, I don't even want to live anymore because this woman Jezebel has rattled my head. And he makes him a hot cake and he puts some water down. I mean, it's not like the tremendous 12 at Perkins or anything like that, but I imagine in that moment it was probably a reassuring thing to get that meal. And look what happens in the next verse. It says that God shows up. And then in verse 7, and the angel of the Lord came again a second time, and he touched him, and he said, arise and eat. I love, anyone in here love to eat? Liars. How many? I don't believe you. Okay. I love how he just keeps feeding Elijah. And he came to the Lord a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went into the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights of Horeb in the Mount of God. And so God doesn't just come to him. God doesn't just show up. Check this out. This is your life. This is my life. In this moment of weakness and pain, in this moment of fear, God just keeps showing up. I don't know your story, but I kind of do because people are people. And in those moments of pain, those moments of loneliness, those moments of I don't know what to do next, in my own life, God has not just showed up, God keeps showing up in the script. And so he keeps showing up, and here's what's so crazy. If you look at this story on a map, 
you would think, oh, well, God shows up, and then God keeps showing up, and when God keeps showing up, everything gets better. You'll find that the town that he goes to is the exact opposite direction. It really looks like Jonah in a lot of ways. It's the exact opposite direction of where God's called him to, and this guy, by foot, he is burning some massive calories, ends up traveling around 200 miles in the wrong destination. And so despite the reality that God keeps showing up, despite the reality that He's called to follow God no matter what. He just keeps going in the wrong direction. And look at verse 9. This is how bad it gets. And there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? If you don't underline anything else in your mind this morning, underline this statement from God to Elijah. And so then Elijah does this thing that so many of us do, and and maybe you're exempt, but this is what I do when I'm frustrated. He starts feeling sorry for himself and throwing kind of a pity party, and look what happens. He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword, as if God didn't already know that some of these things had happened. And I even, I only... And left, and they seek my life to take it away. And so he has this moment where he's feeling sorry for himself, and God shows up on the scene. And check this out and write it down, number two. These are the Kid Bucks statements that work for the entire congregation this morning. He doesn't just show up, he actually draws close. He starts having this personal conversation with his prophet. And God, can you even imagine the frustration of God saying, You just saw my power. You just saw that I can do whatever I choose to do. You just saw that Jezebel is nothing, and now you're running from your life. And when I ask you, what are you doing, you start making excuses for your behavior. Asking that question, what are you doing, is one of the most basic counseling questions that you'll ever find if you end up in a counseling session. And it kind of looks like this statement. This is what I think he's saying. He's saying, Elijah... I know that you've got like a hundred excuses in your mind for why it's okay to do what you're doing. And I know that if I sat and gave you five hours under this broom tree or now headed down south these 200 miles out of the way, I know you could create this narrative in your head. Are you awake this morning? Have you ever done this? That you start making excuses for your behavior and start creating narratives in your head as to why it's okay to not follow God no matter what. But God kind of in his still small voice shows up draws close, and here's what I think he's asking him in this statement. He's saying, how's that working for you? Remember that time, like, a few days ago when you followed me with such passion, and now you're doing whatever you want to do, and God is patiently just walking with this man, and he says, what are you doing? All right, no one else around Still small voice, and check out how God operates in this story. It is one of the most amazing stories in all of the Old Testament. I love how God handles this prophet. This is how it plays out. God draws close to him, and it says this. He goes, go and stand before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke the pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And so God says, I'm going to show you my power. I'm going to remind you that I can do whatever I want to do. And so go just stand out and check out what I can do. And so he sees that the Lord is not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. 
but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Now check this out. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. There's this band, Earth, Wind, and Fire in the 70s. I don't know if that's how they got their name, but it keeps coming to my mind as I'm reading this text. And after the fire, if you're a certain age, you caught that. After the fire, the sound of a low whisper. God's saying, I'm going to show you all of these powerful things. You're going to see a mountain destroyed by wind. And I'm not going to be in the wind. I'm not going to be in the fire. But check this out. Here's where it applies to all of us as a church. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, now check this out. In all of the power he just displayed, here's how Elijah's heart gets shifted back towards God. He says the same thing that he's saying to us. He says, what are you doing, Elijah? What are you doing? How is that working for you? I'm going to move in your life, and I'm going to show you my power, but I'm going to change your heart with a still small voice where I reach out to you in a very personal and intimate way. And in that moment, Elijah starts clicking. Elijah starts following the Lord yet again. And there's this moment that we need to recognize this text and see how it applies to our own life, that God, in all of his power, is still in the business of changing hearts with a still, small voice. And he takes him from that place and that cave with those excuses. And he rebuilds his man of God again and sends him out. And amazing things happen before the Lord. His story's not over. It was just a chapter in the storyline of fear. And Elijah goes out and he anoints a new king over Syria. And he goes through Damascus and he anoints a new king in Israel. And there's this time where now things are coming back together. And check out what God does because God sends out. But check out this last verse here. He says, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. He says, I'm now going to set you up. I am now going to speak into your life, and I'm going to now send you out to do my work because that's what I've designed you to do. And so God sends this man out, and all of those people who did not bow a knee to Baal are restored, and they're used by God, 7,000 strong. He's equipping the saints. And as he's doing this work, it's this mentality of choose this day who you will serve because I have no time for double-minded people that want to follow me three or four days out of the week and then follow a false god with the rest of their heart. I have no room, New Testament translation, for a lukewarm church. He's challenging his people. He's challenging his prophet. And God is moving in a powerful way to eliminate fear from their life. And so just because I like the story behind the story, I know there's kids in here. Do you guys know what happens to Jezebel? I love how I'm looking at some of you and you're just like looking right at me like this is story time at church today. If you don't know what happens to Jezebel, I just actually found out not too long ago. I mean, it's been years, but as a kid, I didn't know this part of the storyline. That she actually has it so rough that she's thrown from a window and trampled by horses and then a pack of wild dogs. I just felt like because there's kids in church this summer, we need to tell this part of the story. A pack of wild dogs eat her body to the point where the only thing left of her is skull, hands, and feet. 
That's, how, that's, that's her destiny for not obeying God and just continuing to rebel against him and try to deceive his people. But I want us to walk away from this storyline this morning with some hope. And I want you to maybe write this down or tuck this away, put it on your cell phone, listening online, whatever you have to do. Here's when I'm having my prayer time this morning, when I feel like God wants us as a church to really hear this morning, that it isn't an absence of fear that's reality in our life. It's that we have a faith that's bigger than our fear. What I want us to walk away from this morning is that God is bigger than anything that we fear, no matter the circumstance in our life. And I think that just plays out very realistically in our life. That in my life, there's not this absence of fear. In fact, when you look at stories in the Bible of these great figures, men and women, it's not that they were never scared, right? It's that their fear did not debilitate them from following God regardless of their circumstance. It didn't let it cripple them. They got back on course and they, start, they followed God through the thick and the thin. And the second thing that I want you to hear this morning is that we just close in prayer and we go on our way to lunch or wherever you would go is this specific challenge to look like Elijah and to change courses. And I think this is what God would have us hear as a people this morning. If you are running from God, look at me. If you are running from God, very simple, just stop. Stop running. Elijah is going from a place where he's following the Lord to a place where he wants to die, and God grabs his heart. He shows him his power. He looks at his man for the hour, and he says, knock it off. And I just want to challenge you with that because maybe you don't know what I'm talking about when I say that. Maybe you're going, well, stop running from what? Fill in the blank. If you are running from the Lord, I don't need to say the specifics. You know what I'm talking about. You've been following all sorts of bales in your life. They're not the God of water, but they're the God of sex. They're not the God of, you know, anything that we see in the Old Testament, but just fill in the blanks. They're the, they're the God of, you know, fulfilling my own destiny and all my wildest dreams coming true. They're the God of a crippled marriage or the God of a broken work environment. Whatever that God is in your life, I just want to challenge you with that. If you are chasing anything other than the Savior this morning, then I want you to hear this. Stop running from the Lord. God is so good and God is so faithful. And he uses this storyline to teach us how he deals with our hearts when we're scared. But he also uses this storyline, as we close this thing out, hear me say this. He uses this storyline to show us that he will not share his fame and he will not share his glory with anybody else. And he is not above doing what he has to do to get our attention. And the challenge from the Lord this morning is to stop running. That Jesus Christ is worth your affections that he went to a cross 900 years after this story took place and he died on a cross and he rose from death so that you can have life and that everything you need in your life can be found in him, that he is literally all that you need and that your job, like Elijah's, is to run to God and the New Testament tells us that that's only through his son, Jesus Christ. Through his death and through his resurrection, you can be made right with God. Stop running. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the hope that we have in you alone. We pray that you would use these stories to build our faith. In my own life, it's, it's not a matter of never being scared. It's a matter of saying, 
I fear the Lord more than I fear any circumstance that you can bring. And so have our hearts, have our lives. Jesus, if there's anyone in this space that has never recognized you as Savior and said, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I've been running from you instead of towards you, I believe that you died on a cross for my sins and that you rose from death so that I can have life. If they've never made that commitment to you and believed upon you and trusted in you and repented of their sins, then in this moment, I pray that they would stop running away from you and start running towards you. Have your way in this church. Have your way in our lives. We pray all of these things in your name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.